0: Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of
1: all types. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. Today, I have Dr. A. Shrivatsan with us on Audio Gyan. He's an architectural scholar with more than 25 years of experience in teaching, architectural and development research, and professional practices. Before joining his role as Executive Director of CAU, Srivatsan served as an Academic Director of SEPT University for five years. He holds a PhD from Indian Institute of Technology, along with Master's Degree in Urban Design, School of Planning and Architecture, New Delhi. Today, we are here to document how our contemporary spaces design, mainly the Hindu temples. So, thank you, sir, for giving your time, and and it's a real honor to have you on the show.
0: Thank you, Kedar. Thank you for inviting. It's my pleasure.
1: So before we begin, I also want to thank uh, Ruturaj Parekh from Matter uh, for making this episode happen. So yeah, just a shout out to him. <laughs> uh, so as I mentioned, the the entire uh, documentation I wanted to do around uh, designing temples, and I've come up with few questions. So sure. I'll start off by asking you. So like it's a longish question, but like what's what is the different about designing a sacred space? I mean. Are sacred places uh, of worship built or they grow organically? And should such places be designed also, or just they naturally evolve? Um, We can start there and then open up more questions as we go along.
0: Sure. So let me first take uh, the first part of your question, which is, uh, is there anything different about designing a sacred space? Hmm. At one level, uh, you can say there is no difference in designing one building from the other because they are all meant to serve the intent and purpose and all parameters of design and making a building applies to a religious or a sacred building. But that's in a very broad sense uh, an answer and that answer may not fully help us. It is not as designing a house or an office because a sacred building has specific demands and architecture, these demands are not only functional, such as uh, making space for gathering, singing bhajans, ritual performance, and so on. Temple makes specific demands in terms of evocative quality, aesthetic experience, and affordance. Yeah, affordance means uh, what I mean by affordance are clues in the building that guides and directs the uh, behavior of the users. Hmm. Second, Temple is not a new thing. In a sense, it has a long history and people have a certain expectation of how a temple must be. So in that sense, contemporary temples have to engage uh, with questions of history and memory. So there is something very specific about uh, designing sacred space. Now, the second part of the question, which is are sacred spaces or places of worship built? Should they be built? or should they grow organically should they be designed at all again uh, in the hindu temple tradition or in the hindu faith there are different kinds of temples uh, the the most sacred of all temples or most sacred of all places are, are places which are called swayambhus something okay. which manifests on god's own will hmm. okay so you no know, person or a divine uh, or a sage or someone has built on God's mm-hmm. own will some kshetras or some places have emerged and they are considered far more sacred than others there are few in number but most other temples are basically built even in Swampuschatras it's only the Murti, the deity the icon is emerged, has emerged on uh, on its own will or on God's own will but the structure per se has to be built. Okay, so any space which is meant to house a deity, either on deity's own will, as the people of faith believe, or out of devotion and will of uh, any patron or group has to be necessarily built. Whether it is to be built by an architect, uh, either a traditional one or a contemporary one, where the community can build it in their own way, there are very many ways of uh, building temples. And uh, at the bottom, the bottom line is all places built with devotion and the purpose of worship are considered sacred.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, I'm just curious to understand that uh, although it was designed by a social architect, Sankaracharya, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: these, uh, there are these series of temples which are in the same longitude, I believe. So, uh, is there any significance with respect to the place itself? Uh, I understand the swayambhu part of it, but um, are there any other dimensions while picking up a place when it's man-made?
0: Yeah, the, the people of faith and those uh, history tells us that uh, some places are considered far more uh, sacred uh, and it could be for various purposes and reasons for example when the river turns up north and flows that's where most of the kumbh sites are and that's considered sacred because you normally don't see it so it's going up north uh, even and things like that or in a place like srirangam in south which is an island formed by two rivers or a branch of one main river and the main river itself uh, suddenly produces a an imagery of uh, the celestial abode of Vishnu, surrounded by water. So uh, people read uh, something significant about it. So there are various sites where people read uh, or think or believe as special significance. Now, this is a very interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Whether place itself possesses those special significance or people are reading... Those sort of significance. Okay, Mm. so that is a a fundamental uh, sort of conversation. Some believe people read. Some believe actually the site speaks. Uh, It's it's a matter of faith. Correct. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: then these uh, are these sacred spaces uh, like public spaces, because typically when there is like gathering, when there is uh, Mm. people coming in. So how how. Or are they different or how? Like, if, there are, if there's a degree of difference, so what, what degree is it?
0: See, theoretically, all temples are public spaces, as, mm. as places of public gathering. And it's open to everyone uh, to come and worship. But the reality on the ground, they are not public spaces. See, oh. for example, historically, we know the Trivandrum temple. Uh, was among the first to throw open temples for various castes, and that only in 1936. In Wycombe, another place in Kerala, it was a struggle to get the streets around the temple open for people. We know Gandhi mm-hmm. accepted to inaugurate the Brilla Mandir in Delhi in 1939 on a condition that it will be open to everyone, including Dalits for worship. Okay, so. There are still temples even now <clears throat> which deny entry to Dalits or women. In some cases, non-Indus cannot enter or maybe go beyond a point. So in that sense, temples are not truly sarvajanik as uh, we expect it to be or they should be in my opinion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, they are places of worship open to people, but some of them have restrictions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, there's another point. How you uh, can also discuss this from a legal perspective, whether it's is. a property or a public property.
1: Okay. Just before so, that, uh, one quick question. Uh, like to to make these spaces prohibited for certain type of people or certain uh, uh, tasks or sector, sex of people. What sort of provisions were done? And these were, I'm um, like obviously it's man-made, but Uh, They were like roads only which were blocked or the entrances were blocked or uh, within the architecture itself, there were some changes
0: done? Um, Not really. The architecture itself didn't have blocks. Basically, these prohibitions are very social prohibitions which are far more powerful. The upper caste having complete control on lower caste or men having far more uh, control on women. Uh, is uh, the most effective of uh, restriction. Architecturally speaking, there were no devices, so to speak. Oh. So it was after a long struggle, uh, people gained access. In some temples, for some, for example, in very large temples in Sri Rangam, we you know for some time, people could not even enter the fifth enclosure. Then they entered and they could go only up to the third enclosure. And further, they couldn't go. So it's a period of uh, it, it, it's over a long period of struggle. People have gained access to temples. Mm-hmm.
1: And the reason why I was asking this because you mentioned about Gandhi opening up uh, or making a rule or making a like a condition to do that. So it was mainly from a entry standpoint, right? But Correct. he couldn't really uh, control the the power and the social dynamics of it.
0: Absolutely not. He couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and for very long time that was in 1930s. But still the struggle continues. For instance, one of the major struggles in contemporary temples in Tamil Nadu has been whether the Dalits could become priests or not. Hmm. So the uh, the, local, the state government, DMK in particular, have been trying to uh, get the Dalits to become priests. That's not uh, fully yet realized.
1: And, uh, yeah. <laughs> So, what is what is the relation between sacredness and architecture?
0: Okay. See, uh, <clears throat> uh, there are two major views on this. Okay, <clears throat> and let me first uh, explain that not necessarily from architecture, but from understanding of what sacred is or how sacred manifests. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a group of thinkers, uh, scholars, practitioners, believers. Think that sacred is already present in this universe, in this world. Okay. It's there, it's it's there, it's given. Okay. So mm-hmm. it's it's present. All you need to do is just find that, okay. Find that, or somehow manifest it through a certain kind of forms and procedures. Yes. This is one group, okay? So there is nothing you can do about it. It's there, your all your journey is all about discovering it.
1: Yeah. Uncover the clouds of ignorance, to put it in a Vedantic sense. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So then there is another group who thinks sacred is is something that we construct culturally. We hold what is important and sacred to us. And these notions and the method in which we access sacred experience uh, changes with times. Okay. So there was a time when we believed rituals. Provided that. For another time, we believed bhakti or devotion provided that. So uh, they don't think that the notion of sacred is fixed and it is there, and all we have to do is somehow uh, figure this out. So these groups view architecture differently, the role of architecture differently. For those who believe sacred is given, already present, the sacred experience can only be accessed through quote unquote right forms okay, that already are present. They believe sacred will and can manifest only through suitable or appropriate architectural forms, either as we have already seen them or as it is prescribed in the texts. To them, the knowledge as to how to build comes first and the experience later. And most people who believe this most often uh, will only prefer what is uh, broadly called the traditional architecture, or traditional temple architecture. To them, that's the most suitable form. Mm. To the other mm-hmm. temple, to other group rather, uh, who think sacred or God's uh, karunya, benevolence, or saulabhya, as the Vaishnavites would call it, which is essentially in God's uh, great uh, love for humanity, uh, the sacred experience is accessible in any form that is either possible, desirable, or affordable. So for some, for group who take that viewpoint, many forms can bring in that sacred experience. And if you read the great stories of the Bhakti tradition, you have uh, you have uh, Kusela on one end and you have uh, a Tamil Saivet saint called Pusala who competed with the local king in constructing temple. The only difference was Pusala built the entire temple in his heart while the God, king was building, the Pallava king was building a grand temple and eventually the god chose to reside in Pusalar's temple. So there is a, there is a long tradition which believes that uh, sacred experience is accessible in any which form, there is no perfect. So this is from do groups which look at archi- uh, look at sacred. But within architecture, broadly speaking, not necessarily only with architecture, generally, uh, there are two views again okay particularly if you see the contemporary perspective one group of architects think that architecture has no autonomy it's always subservient to social and cultural conditions hmm. and they believe it plays only an instrumental role so such architects will create sacred temples based on what the society and culture thinks Architecture playing play, what role it can play. While other things, architecture is not a mere instrument. It has its own abilities that can mediate sacred experience. Okay, it 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 has an iconicity, it can produce an iconicity, it has an ability through decor ornamentation or interior to orient and show (coughs) the users, in this case, worshippers or devotees. Uh, what that sacred is. Uh, they also believe that the materials that we use in building such uh, structures can create senseless experience, which cannot be incru- ignored. Rather, so hmm. uh, they strongly believe that uh, architecture plays a far more influential role in creating sacred spaces. Okay, interesting.
1: And and then uh, out of which these schools. Uh, sort of because I've seen like most of the temples in the south or any part of the country as well are Mm. typically in a remote location Mm. where Mm. people have to actually travel not Mm. the commercial uh, ones but more uh, where there is a Navas kind of a thing and stuff like that Mm. so um, like both these schools think of those on the same lines or is there any pattern there?
0: Uh, You mean to say in terms of uh,
1: the the location itself, like far uh, away from the uh, the regular society or regular people where they're staying?
0: Not not really, but uh, if you believe that there is only a particular way of doing temples, etc., then possibly the choice of the place also has to follow certain prescriptions. While if you take a little uh, liberal view about it, you can always believe that uh, any place can be made sacred. You really don't have to uh, look for something very specific about it.
1: Mm-hmm. So does specific uh, kind of architecture forms and style have like a sacred quality, which you briefly uh, uh, mentioned about about the material itself being sacred, but are there any other uh, things to that? Yeah.
0: See, uh, there is a there's a group of people who build temples and use temples believe strongly that certain forms possess um, sacred uh, quality. Okay, So, for example, the Vimana, the Shikara, um, has to be in a certain way. Uh, the uh, Garbhagraka, the Sanctum Sanctorum, the innermost sanctum should be in a certain shape and form. So, they, so this is something they very strongly believe. So here we can bring in the role of uh, Vastu Shastra also. Oh. So a group of people who believe that a sacred form, there is a particular sacred form, there is a particular sacred shape, uh, and there is a particular way in which you need to put them together. You can't just randomly put uh, shapes and any dimension. You can't use. In fact, actually, whether it's a temple or a house, it all begins with dimension. In fact, in South India, before you either you design a house or a temple, you'll have to see ten matching matches between the dimension you're using and the star of the patron. So it's a very complex calculation, and they arrive at a sacred dimension. So people believe that unless you follow these prescriptions, as it's given in the text, you may not be able to possibly build a temple. Mm. So, a of people would think that's how you should build. But there are a few others who really either don't entirely accept it or probably only build the sanctum in a particular way, and uh, the other spaces can be built in different ways. So so there's a whole range of uh, 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 responses. But in terms of materials, there is a very interesting history, you see? Uh, the most preferred, uh, according to traditional texts and agamas and all that, is not stone as we now think is the best, most oh. durable sort of, even expensive material. But the most preferred material is wood, then followed uh, by stucco, brick and stucco. And stone comes later. In fact, some archaeologists think stone was actually a taboo because it was mostly, at least I'm more familiar with the South Indian history. So stone was associated with the funerary rites, you know, and uh, for long it was not used. But much later, post uh, 6th, 7th century, stone became a preferred material. Same goes with the deities, Murtis, also. So the material has uh, have changed, and currently... Uh, For various reasons, concrete is the most common material in construction.
1: Mm -hmm. And and this uh, pattern of uh, wood being predominantly used and bricks and then stone, uh, was it pan-India or is it uh, select to a particular geography where wood is abundant or where stones are more, uh, those kind of things?
0: At least in South India, this was the most preferred. Hmm. But some of the agamic text origin is all in, in North in Kashmir and others. So I guess uh, it would have had a wide prevalence. But certainly contingency is also important. But stones doesn't necessarily mean one granite stone. So you could probably use uh, hmm. limestone stones and so on. Yeah.
1: Actually looking at the the crowd there, I think stone makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, what like you mentioned about Vastu Shastra also, if you can tell like what role does it play? I, I was particularly interested about uh, with the with the dome kind of a structure with the the conical shapes which are peculiar to temples. Is there something uh, which like you have any insights there? Uh,
0: so the uh, lots of work has been done on the traditional temples. You know? Plenty of work has happened. In fact. Uh, temple architectural history has been the most uh, fascinating and most written uh, history here. So a lot of people have done some excellent stuff work here. Uh, So what it appears is the architecture of the uh, Shikara or Vimana as it's called in South or the Gopura, the entrance gateway in the entrance have uh, evolved over a period of time. Uh, there are different theories as to where it originated from some say it's coming from some funerary structure some say it's coming from art and what whatever it is architects have been constant uh, consistently over centuries uh, of maybe even thousands of years have constantly innovated on the temple designs Okay, so if you look at the 6th century temple, it's not the same as the 10th 11th. If you look at the Tanjo big temple, it's phenomenally uh, huge and, uh, and fantastic. Uh, uh, Vimana is very different than when you come probably much later in 16th or 17th century. So there's been a constant innovation of it, but in principle, what they are, are very simple uh, architectural compositions. You have a cube at the bottom, and you have a pyramid on top, uh, with a with a ambler, or a dome on top, and a finial at the at the topmost point, all pointing upwards. Mm. This is a composition which is vertical. Horizontally, it is a series of uh, concentric uh, rectangles or squares which progresses uh, outwards, and all aligned in the direction. So, as uh, somebody who walks in. Uh, progressively feels uh, he or she is entering closer to something very important and divine. So that axiality more or less. So these are unchanging principles broadly, but in contemporary temples, uh, things have, uh, there have been some attempts uh, to look at different possibilities because substantially in recent times, uh, temples have become spaces for larger gatherings. Uh, there is a, a few shifts in the way it's spatial
1: patterns. Hmm. So I was going to come to this question later, but then uh, most of the temples have this ornamental look. So we'll come to the contemporary and what role does architect play? Uh, architects play in the current time. But mm-hmm. just to conclude that part, um, like most of the temples have this like ornamental look. Yeah. Um. So like, does if if there are any insights why it was there, and then do you see that pattern in the modern age or the contemporary temples as well
0: yeah. see ornament uh, is not to be viewed as we now view it as some extra thing you know some excess okay it's something that it's just embellished after building so uh, you can remove it if you don't think it you need it no ornaments traditionally is very much part of completion without that completion without the ornament uh, a building will not be complete so it plays multiple roles at a very simple role it helps you uh, tell a story it's part of the narrative uh, it's a place where you can um, sort of decorate and so on but another level these are not only symbols of uh, prosperity and all that but it is it is it it, it, it is that itself for example even in a residence, in a traditional residence, if you go at the entrance, you would find uh, some uh, elements which to an uh, ignorant eye will look like ornamentation. But basically, those are the ones which produces a sense of well-being into that house. So they are not uh, a superfluous element. So in traditional uh, temples, ornaments don't are not just to be viewed as superfluous. So they have multiple roles. But in contemporary temples, they don't play such a big role for various reasons.
1: Hmm. And, and what are those reasons? <laughs> uh,
0: for example, generally there is a modern sensibility. You see, if you look at some of the recent temples, uh, hmm. in order to be uh, generally modern, contemporary architects are not trained well or they don't take to ornaments um, very well. partly also ignorant, so they're also not well-trained. And their modern sensibility uh, doesn't allow look at figurative arts. So they would not mind using historic forms, but uh, figurative art, they're very uncomfortable with. So that's one reason. The second reason is, uh, which is also the notion of superfluous comes from economics. So very expensive. You can't these days, I mean, you really have to spend a lot of money and uh, artisans to be used and so on. So they settle for uh, simple geometrical patterns and they don't go for figures. The third mm-hmm. reason is also uh, a certain sense of aesthetics, which is tied to the first. But some, for example, if you look at uh, Pallava 7th century temples, they're not as Ornamental, in a sense, as uh, probably uh, 14th, 15th century temples. So the sense of how to, um, uh, what ornaments to use, how no ornament, etc., also changes. So there could be aesthetical reasons as well from both sides, either the architect or the patron or the community. Mm-hmm.
1: In the in the modern age, uh, is there influence of Western architecture in the Indian temples? And the reason why I'm asking is because uh, you said like the, the new age may not be as uh, I w- I'm now like scared to say ornamental, but yeah, you go, you you know what I mean, right? The the uh, the decorative way of um, expressing certain or telling stories is it because of the Western influence? Is there any uh, angle like that?
0: Uh, I, first of all, I will be a little careful in uh, uh, talking about the corrupt influence of West and so on. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, first of all, architecture has been evolving and changing as uh, places people encounter changes. Um, So modern architecture is not just about West, but it's also change in technology, arrival of new materials, finding out innovative ways of constructing. And uh, there is also uh, today you can't have a sprawling temple, can be for instance. Uh, you have to build a temple often in the middle of a neighborhood, which is a very smaller plot compared to the old sprawling temples. And then you need to have a, you need to have a kitchen, you need to have a dining hall, you need to have a gathering space. So there is a certain um, real estate concerns on how temples are built. So. So the new architecture, or rather let's not use the new, but contemporary architecture has to respond to multiple demands uh, or different sets of demands as it was done before. So, and you would see that uh, not just temples, you just take our own houses, the manner in which our own houses have changed, places of work has changed. We don't see that our houses as a best corrupt, uh, form of our existence. No, we embrace change uh, because we are that. So temples are no different because temple is very much a part of our existence, a cultural existence. And it's also very much part of our economic and technological existence. So naturally, uh, how we build temples will change. It's not necessarily to do the Western stuff. That's a, not a productive route to take. But if you primarily see architecture as a product or an outcome of uh, the social and economic conditions, of course, in this case, technological conditions, so temples cannot be in exam- exemption. Mm-hmm. In the
1: modern day, uh, like what role does architect play in designing or building temples? Because uh, if, if the Stapatis or the Sompuras or uh, these uh, two paths, also, I believe, uh, are like traditional architects. Are like, I mean, what sort of expertise do they bring, um, and and do you need like a modern architect?
0: See, in my personal experience, I have designed a couple of temples, and two of them have been built. Of course, I didn't stay through the project, but right from the beginning, in my case, uh, I wanted to work with the St- uh, Stavities, because certain forms of knowledge are not accessible to me. I, in both cases, my clients were Iskcon. So Iskcon, as you would know, is a, is a sort of a liberal version of the tradition. Okay, mm-hmm. so there is no caste, and there is no race, etc. But they also follow strong devotional tradition. So the temple also is a combination of that: some traditional elements and some contemporary elements. So how do you access traditional forms of knowledge? As a contemporary architect, I have no clue about it. I've not been trained. Whatever I've learned, I've learned it through my own personal research, etc., and my own interest uh, that I've learned. So for me, when I have to build a temple, and where we have decided to combine both aspects, uh, the traditional and the contemporary, the access to the traditional knowledge is only possible through Stapati. For example, how do you fix its sacred dimension? I have no idea. So I need to work with, with Okay, then I need to introduce certain, I won't say ornament, but I need to infuse my design with symbols that represent well-being within the folds of faith. Then again, I am not uh, equipped to know that. What I am equipped to do and what I bring to the table is your... Uh, is now it's like a design problem to solve. I have a fixed site. I have multiple demands. For example, this was just about three grounds or something, four grounds of site. Then you need to have a dining hall. You need to have a large kitchen. Then you need to have some space to sell books. And you need to have a large gathering space. So you bring in your expertise as you would probably solve a spatial problem and uh, you organize spaces in a more contemporary fashion. And two, uh, as a contemporary architect, I can set the directions for structural expression and so on. And in my case, since I had some familiarity with the tradition as well, so I could think about uh, ways of combining that. But there are certain things which only a traditional architect can do, either a sapati or a sumpra. This is where we have both of us working, contemporary architect and sapatis. There are a few places where there are no sapatis, or there are places where there are no uh, architects either. So mm-hmm. that's on the
1: project. Yeah. I remember uh, I had done an audio gun with uh, Uday Atwankar and mm-hmm. he said in the uh, professor from IDC, and mm-hmm. he was saying that um, in, in like certain um, slum areas of Bombay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire house is supposed to be, I mean, like the biggest concern while they uh, engaged in that activity of redevelopment and like redesigning those spaces mm-hmm. uh, was more mostly to understand can, can I fix hygiene, can mm-hmm. I fix uh, the water supply and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they did user research, I think uh, the, the demands were that my house should be pivoted or centered from like the main point is PV. And because <laughs> it was quite funny because the, the, within that community, like having, owning a TV was like more of a status symbol. So they mm-hmm. had like one TV and then like four, five uh, families used to watch together. So TV was the anchor point and then the house was revolving mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm. So so in this case, um, uh, has there been always, or is there any pattern which is emerged that mm-hmm. I understand with the Swayambu mm-hmm. because it's, it's now pics. But mm-hmm. uh, where the deity is supposed to be placed, and then mm-hmm. uh, what kind of space? Any any insights there?
0: Uh, see, uh, see, in Swamis, as you said rightly, it, uh, the deity has emerged, and uh, around which you build a temple. Okay, so the orientation is determined, and the sizes to a significant extent could be influenced, etc. But uh, in an in, another te- in other temples, Vastu has a very detailed prescription. Sometimes, in fact, the texts are not complete, actually. You have to work with the sapatis because practi- many of the knowledges are in practice, not often in text, actually, if you see. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, through practice, this knowledge has been shared. So they have a way in which how to fix the position of this. Uh, sanctum, how to give a certain tilt in the orientation. So there's a whole set of ideas and practice. Now in contemporary uh, buildings, uh, again, some architects do follow some of these practices or it is purely determined based on the spatial layout and what you really want to do. Uh, But as you gave in the case of the TV example, not all of the decisions are purely Based on um, some economics or something. There is a, there's a whole range of uh, aspects that uh, influence our decisions. And temples are no different. Sometimes a temple is built by two communities which are fighting. See? As I've seen in US in some of the temples, which was part of my research in my postdoctoral work. So, you have multiple groups coming and building a temple, and each group has a shrine for each one of them. so there is a constant negotiation as to where to place which deity and all that so the temple also is an outcome of negotiations
1: wow brilliant and and um, sorry, I'm asking a, a bit silly question, but when there is these if you go to Kedarnath or if you go to these Swami and Mandir and other places there are uh, there are these barricades which are put just for taking darshan in a in a orderly way. Although it's not followed, but it's there. Mm. Now, do modern architects consider that as a as one of the constraints while designing a space?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Queuing today is, is a queue, arranging queues, managing queue systems are absolutely necessary. If you're designing large temples or temples which you think, for example, I had uh, designed uh, a temple in Tirupati at the bottom, not at the top for ISKCON. Okay, so they have two, three uh, days in a year which you have a peak uh, flow. So you need to anticipate how you would manage the queues, and uh, absolutely very essential, uh, particularly in those uh, festival times. And you will also see, for example, we looked at uh, the new design, isn't it, for Kashi Temple uh, recently that was announced. So there's a lot of uh, discussion in the design of how to manage uh, Darshan and how to regulate people. These days, issue of security has come in. And after this pandemic event, how to regulate uh, distance will also be part of it. It's
1: quite interesting to look at that aspect as well.
0: Mm. So
1: um, if you can give like, I mean, this is like a second last question, which I have is that um, like, then what are, if you can take any example of how these, all these learnings or all these uh, interesting insights were, have culminated into like a New modern age temple. You can like take any example, or maybe you can, uh, if you have uh, any uh, idea about the Ram Mandir, which is being built.
0: Yeah, see, yeah, I have uh, see in uh, you know one of the recent books that I co-edited with my friends uh, mm. on contemporary temples published by mag last year. So I have an essay there where I've looked at uh, at least about eight to nine temples built in recent times. Okay, and each architect has uh, adopted different strategies because their concerns, their clientele, or their community uh, in which they're operating has changed. For instance, if you take uh, Sami Padwara's design for a uh, Shiv temple in Vadeshwar, yeah, you would find that it's basically a Shikara and the Garbhagaga fused into one monolith structure without any ornamentation. And it has a very contemporary looking porch or entrance at the front. And unlike a traditional temple where the top is more or less closed, he sort of opens it out for sunlight to come in. But uh, of course, it's a very small temple, but it looks quite uh, appealing because it sits beautifully in a landscape. And I'm told, and I saw pictures that uh, local citizens have also embraced it. But in a very contrasting manner, one of his new temples in Andhra, somewhere, I forget the location, which he has designed, is very different. So, what he has done is he's taken a traditional South Indian temple and built it into a series of steps going into the landscape. People can sort of sit and use that. So, this is absolutely a different strategy. Uh The another important, uh, another interesting temple that I have seen that's again closer to Hyderabad in a place called Venachat, designed by a very young architect uh, by name Sai Krishna. So he has done, he has to taken long size bricks and turned it around to do a very abstract shikara, which is beautiful, the colors are lovely. And uh, what he has done, it's a very interesting an important design move, I think, is because, see, normally in a when you design a temple, the boundary wall has to be solid and big because how you separate this sacred space from the not so sacred space. Okay, so within the boundary is the sacred space. Hmm. So what he done, here is is perforated that boundary. Normally you don't do that. He has perforated that boundary and looks like a jali. So you could see. Uh, the temple inside, and as well as you could see a lovely huge tree outside where the village people gather. So he's establishing the temple as some kind of an extended social space as much as it is a religious space. It's I think it's a very interesting and a very important innovation because now you are defining, redefining the temple's role architecturally. So I find a series of such uh, very interesting. Um, changes that are occurring, uh, not many contemporary architects uh, do this, these projects, but I'm sure hopefully in days to come, you'll see far more examples.
1: Mm, sure, sure. And you have any insights about the Ram Mandir?
0: Okay. The Ram Mandir is, a, is a entirely a very unique specific uh, problem mm. see? because here, Uh, In one sense, to me, the architecture is a bit disappointing. I saw the pictures and models, and I've read a few articles on it. One, because uh, uh, even uh, as a temple design, see, it is struggling uh, with the idea to make some sense uh, with the new role of this temple as a national temple. It's no more just a Ram temple in Ayodhya. So you would see uh, styles of various regions fused there. You'll have the South Indian in the first row and then you'll have the uh, Eastern architecture. And then the final one is more North Indian. So it's a kind of a mix of uh, different styles. And there is a compulsion there because there the agenda of the temple design is to one, constitute the larger national uh, group of Hindus, so it's appealing to different regions. Two, its problem is it has to look as old as it could because it's on that grounds the, the temple has emerged. So uh, they really uh, not uh, done much there. I mean I wouldn't uh, I mean I love to go and see after it's completed. So what I'm saying is that since it has two compuls- two compulsions, one to constitute an appeal, to a larger national level uh, uh, imagined or uh, uh, organized Hindu group, it tries to fuse all kinds of architectural style. So, see that. Okay. True, second- uh, I'm just saying, is that it cannot appear anywhere new in any sense of the word uh, because uh, it's all built on the premise that it's a very ancient site. So one of its main agenda is to look as old as it could. So they would be very, even happy if it gets a sort of a old look quickly. So in mm-hmm. that sense, there's nothing new or inspiring in that. Second, it's a problematic site. You cannot uh, always uh, or erase the existence of uh, all these contestations and fight. So it's going to be, it, it, it's a difficult site. It's a difficult mm-hmm. site. And uh, I'm not so impressed with the design.
1: Yeah, like, and also, there's like a strong political part of it that everything has to be sort of optics-driven and output-driven than yeah, the actual is, content.
0: Yeah, it is. A, it's a much more a political project than a religious project. You know, it's not. Yeah. Uh, it appears a religious structure, but it's a political statement. And uh, so, uh, so it's not really uh, even if you were to evaluate, if we were to ignore the politics, which is very difficult. If you were to, and if you were to look at it as this, I mm-hmm. think much better could be done.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, I'll end by asking you, like, how do you envision s- sacred spaces or or temples of the future?
0: I think it will be as varied as uh, different user groups and communities that we will have. And we'll continue to have, because what we are increasingly witnessing, despite whatever the political agenda is to homogenize temple users and temple worshippers, which I personally, I I disagree and I oppose. Because one of the uh, significant aspect of uh, Indian uh, uh, culture of worship and all that is the variety in which uh, people engage with the idea of religion and sacredness. And uh, the different kinds of temples and sacred structures that we see is a witness to it. So, uh, so I I don't think it'll be possible to homogenize, and there could be one or two examples, maybe like Brahma, but which tries to do that, which it eventually on the ground it will not necessarily happen. Okay, so you would have you would have variety, and I desire those varieties because the variety is the indication of different ways in which people engage with ideas of faith and worship. Okay, mm. so uh, you will find some going back to very traditional ways of doing things because that's the group they represent and probably that's what they think sacred is. But what excites me and what I desire to look personally, because not only just because I'm a contemporary architect, but I'm also an historian in a sense that I've seen over Thousands of years, temple designs have, have, uh, uh, have changed, evolved, and always figured out what, how to represent sacredness, how to make it far more accessible to people, how to bring in, make it more inclusive, for all people, no caste, no gender discrimination. So, what will be the new kind of architecture that will state this? Because in my opinion, traditional architecture cannot do that because it is uh, it is embedded in certain notions about caste and gender. So we need to find a different language, uh, both uh, from social perspective, but also as a design solution uh, to meet not only different demands that are made in temple, but also ways in which we can make such sacred experience uh, accessible. And I strongly believe that uh, the designers, they have the capability and will find uh, different ways of doing it. So I look forward to a future where there are many varieties of temples. And in particular, I look at how contemporary architects uh, are more sensitively, creatively, and sort of culturally, politically, sensitively designing temples.
1: Great, great, great. And for a person like me, uh, who's half uh, in faith and half in uh, modernity uh, i think with so many gods and goddesses uh, we are bound to like reach diversity itself so it won't be homogeneous yeah cool <laughs> yeah. yeah. well, i think this is a good note to end uh, thanks a lot sir for uh, giving your time and it was oh, really okay. wonderful talking to you and yeah got to learn a lot uh, document some good stuff with respect to temple architecture so thanks a lot
0: thank you Kedar it was a pleasure talking to you and uh, thanks for having me in your podcast oh
1: thank you that's it
0: and that's it from today's Gyan session catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher or any podcasting app you use do rate us on iTunes
1: and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram stay tuned for more Gyan on
0: audiogyan.com till then bye